Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I am your host, Cody Kelly. I have some great topics we're going to cover tonight. Uh, Brexit bill, WeWork developments, uh, Facebook and the United Kingdom elections. Uh, Jeff Bezos' newest project on hand, some uh, organizational development within Boeing, the opioid trials, and Ruth Ginsburg. Stay tuned, it's going to be a great episode. Some great, uh, we're not great, but interesting developments happening over in the United mm-hmm. Kingdom. Uh, Boris Johnson has hit the pause button on his Brexit legislation after MPs rejected his plans to get in through the Commons in three days. MPs have backed his withdrawal agreement bill, uh, but minutes later voted against the timetable, leaving it in limbo. After the vote, the European Union Council President Donald Tusk said he would recommend European Union leaders uh, back an extension to the 31st of October Brexit deadline. But a number 10 source said if a delay was granted, the prime minister would seek an election. On Saturday, Mr. Johnson compiled uh, with a law demanding he write to the European Union to ask for a three-month extension, but did not sign the letter. Following the result in the Commons, he said it was Parliament and not the government that had requested the extension. Mr. Johnson said he would reiterate his pledge to European leaders, telling them it is still his policy to leave by the end of October. But the Commons leader, Jacob Rees-Mogg, told the MPs it was very hard to see how the necessity of laws could be passed to leave with a deal by the deadline. The SNP's leader, Ian Blackford, said it was another humiliating defeat for the prime minister. And MPs had spoken with a very clear voice to tell the prime minister he is not on. Liberal Democrat leader Joe Swinson called on Mr. Johnson to end the brinkmanship and replace it with some statementship in order to secure an extension uh, with the European Union. Just kind of some developments happening in the Brexit bill so far. So this uh, agreed upon uh, new plan of the European Union leaders last week uh, is reportedly pledged to leave the bloc by the end of October, either with or without a deal. This is despite him having to ask for an extension. Uh, the bill will turn into its plan into law called the Withdrawal Agreement, which was published Monday evening and urged MPs to back this three-day timetable. So some of my thoughts, um, obviously the push for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union is not a Boris Johnson idea. It actually happened under Theresa May, former uh, uh, London, former England prime minister. Uh, the, the rise of, uh, I guess, independence uh, really wanting to create a more stable local government uh, and the efforts thereof have increased and has pushed for this uh, national agenda. The the problem is you're almost too far gone, right? Like when you've been connected so long, your economies and your culture and everything is tied together for a party to separate would cause fallout, would cause instability somewhere. And to break up this marriage would cause a riff uh, within the countries tied to the euro, within governments depending upon this, each other and this mutual collaboration. And I think it kind of sends the wrong signal. The question is, why did you get into it in the first place? Now, if it was just a bad move, if they felt like this was too much of a unilateral agreement and there wasn't enough political cohesion um, and and the market was too stable to carry such a vast load when one country is prospering and another one isn't, and without having a 
almost newly created empire to, to ensure independence and sovereignty, maybe this is the best move. Uh, but I do think that cooler heads have to prevail, and the United Kingdom really has to focus on um, not only not only understanding what is best for the country at hand, but how to exit properly and peacefully. And those has to be the uh, those two items have to be the agenda items, the agenda objectives going forward, uh, properly and peacefully. We work, we work, we work. Uh, we work. Rescue Hands co-founder Adam Newman has agreed to a $1.7 billion payout. The struggling property firm WeWork has reportedly accepted a rescue deal with a generous payout uh, from its co-founder, Adam Newman. The deal will see current investor, uh, Japanese firm SoftBank, to buy billions more dollars worth of WeWork shares, including an almost $1 billion from Mr. Newman himself. The agreement also includes a $5 billion in debt financing, which gives SoftBank control of the company. It follows the collapse of WeWork's plans to raise money via stock markets. The Wall Street Journal has first reported the terms of this rescue plan. It is said to value WeWork at about $8 billion USD or 6.1 billion euros, which is a sharp fall from the nearly $50 billion SoftBank estimate when it invested in WeWork previously. The Japanese investment giant has already owned about a third of WeWork and has now spent about $19 billion on the firm as a whole, more than double the firm's current valuation, according to Reuters. Uh, reports said that Mr. Newman agreed to buy or to back the rescue plan over a rival offer from J.P. Morgan in exchange for his shares, a $185 million consulting fee, and a $500 million loan. He's also expected to step down. From WeWork's board, he will retain a small stake in the company. Uh, Ron Torson, uh, chief executive of the public relations firm 5WPR, has called the exit package a win for Mr. Newman, who was forced out as CEO last month after WeWork's planned flotation ran into trouble. Many CEOs who get pushed out of companies uh, that they found that they find do not. Exit with a billion dollars plus in cash. He said it clearly shows that while Newman was not right to leave the company at the time, his contributions were largely enough to warrant a significant chunk of cash. WeWork, which rents shared office space and helped to popularize co-working, has grown from a single office in New York City to more than 500 locations around the world. But it lost $900 million in the first six months of this year alone. The firm's share offering has received a lukewarm reaction from investors we raise concerns about the firm's financing and governance. WeWork has officially dropped the flotation plan last month. The company is now set to prepare for job cuts and sale of parts of the business in an effort to right its finances. So I think this is a very layered uh, analysis of WeWork. Uh, I think the idea of the collaborative spaces, the shared working spaces, uh, which WeWork helped uh, popularize, uh, I won't say necessarily create or, or you know, found, uh, but definitely was the leader in that idea from an architectural standpoint and shared uh, working spaces for a lot of mid-size and, and startup organizations um, was great, kind of controlling the end-to-end -end corporate work environment experience, uh, basically creating renters of all organizations. Um, the The problem is when the 
idea or the architectural nuance becomes commoditized and others can compete and that there is a proven um, acknowledgement and understanding of ownership can have its perks when things can become tax deductible, uh, when you can have an architect on staff, when you can create the same thing yet develop a plan so that if the business were to fold, you can sell the property itself and it'd be resellable. Uh, so now pivoting the and and partnering the position of the organization with the power of real estate uh, kind of worked against WeWork. I think in WeWork's rise, it was when the economy was rebounding. But now that it has rebounded and uh, organizations have money to invest in its facilities, uh, now competition comes from other sources. I think that was a huge issue with WeWork. Um, and then because, you know, one size doesn't fit all when you're trying to create a workspace for this firm or for that firm, it, it's more of an architectural science and art and everybody doesn't want the, what I call spaceship model. <laughs> everybody, uh, wants something that is uniquely theirs, right? I mean, there'll be some trending, trending similarities, uh, but as a whole, there will be, uh, a difference, different, uh, differentiation is is key, I think, to identity, to individuality, to organizational culture, and uh, to have basically a space that mirrors somebody else's space uh, could be potentially a turn off. Uh, and then I think when they tried to raise money and launch their IPO, it's founded on what? What was the hype? What was the valuation? You know, it, it's it's there's no excitement with it, and I think that's why J.P. Morgan dropped it. Uh, was more interested in acquiring the company than just being a you know a clearinghouse to raise the IPO itself. Um, so this is good. I don't think there's any love lost. I mean, if, if somebody lets you know you go and you get oh, almost two billion dollars, you really can't be mad, you know. <laughs> like, so I, I think for Newman's case, uh, well compensated for his contributions, uh, WeWork will survive in one form or another, uh, and definitely uh, the concept of WeWork. Um, is being utilized on micro scales, but it is being utilized. So I think uh, the best thing for WeWork to do is either to go what I call uh, either large scale uh, economy or small scale. What I mean by large scale, either become that hub that, hey, you know, if you're a startup, you know, we'll do this, we'll do that. And you'll basically become the, the leasing giant and, and you have an architect on stand and and basically, you be a one-stop shop, or you become uh, a small scale, and you know you just kind of focus on little projects here and there, and and more of uh, insight and tourism and, and things of that nature, and really dealing more of the uh, experience economy instead of the dramatic shift uh, that is probably desirable. Facebook, Facebook, and United Kingdom elections, Facebook who uh, was brought on several, <laughs> or questioned several times for the, um, I won't say interference, uh, for lack of a better word, but for interference in the 2016 election. Uh, Facebook, obviously, is the largest social media platform and a vehicle that can create influence. And the United Kingdom is setting parameters to make sure Facebook keeps itself neutral. Facebook has set out extra measures for fighting the spread of disinformation. At the next United Kingdom election, these include extending its partnership with Fact Checker, Full Fact, 
and improving the ad library in which political ads are archived. In addition, it announced separate plans for the 2020 U.S. presidential vote, including a way to track how much each candidate spends on Facebook ads. It also confirmed it continues to be a great target for foreign influence campaigns. The company's cybersecurity chief said his team had just removed four distinct networks of accounts, pages, and groups from Facebook and Instagram earlier in the day. Three of them originated in Iran, one in Russia. They targeted a number of different regions, including the United States, North Africa, and Latin America, said Nathaniel Gletcher. The Russian operation has showed some links to the St. Petersburg-based Internet Research Agency and had the hallmarks of a well-sourced or resourced operation. They took consistent operational security steps to conceal their identity and location and it appears that this operation was still in the early stages and it was focused on trying to build its audience when we took it down. Richard Allen, Facebook's Vice President of Policy Solutions, detailed his plans for the expected United Kingdom election in an article for the Daily Telegraph. He said it would also set up a dedicated operations center for the United Kingdom if an election is declared. The center's job would be quickly to remove content which breaks Facebook rules. He, re- he reiterated that it would not be Facebook's job to fact check or judge the veracity of what politicians say. Facebook chief rules out banning political ads. So they're not going to ban political ads. All political ads, including ads in the United Kingdom on social issues such as immigration, health, and the environment will be subject to verification of the identification of the poster and stored in the firm's political archive, searchable by anyone, whether or not they are a member of Facebook. The library is designed to make political ads more transparent and trackable. This has faced criticism for being difficult to use because of bugs and crashes. 2019 July, New York Times covered the case of a researcher from Mozilla who reported a bug which crashed the library 59 pages of results. Facebook replied that the issue was unfortunately a won't fix for now, although it later said it had resolved the problem. Full Fact was confounded by a conservative party donor, Michael Samuel, 2010, and operates as a charity. Facebook later removed the ad. Full Fact said the various versions of the headline would have received up to 510,000 impressions, although that could have included multiple viewings by one person. So, and, and all in all, I, I think that the the focus is to make sure that Facebook is staying neutral. Uh, obviously, you can't stop anyone from posting their views. Uh, any campaign or contributor or supporter from supporting a, a candidate or not supporting a candidate, it cannot be the vehicle for truth. But what it can be is to make sure that one side isn't overly dominating the other one. Uh, to make sure that when these campaigns are funding these advertisements on their website, that they make sure that they're not giving special credence and a special algorithm that allows um, uh, certain ads to be viewed more, uh, that it does not favor any party nor uh, personality. And I think that is the job of a heavy influencer of a social media platform is to make sure that there is equity and equality and access uh, to any source that you're looking for and that to make sure that these sources aren't creating dangerous environments, A, but to make sure that these sources have some sense of validation uh, because the you, you don't want to go so far in and then you start uh, saying, you know, well, uh, you know, 
and you know you might not like if it goes against your political preference you know this part because now it starts if it doesn't if it doesn't go into that realm of you know uh of what i call the point of no return then is it just a matter of policy and if it's a matter of policy then you have to allow policy to be heard if it's personality person's property and happiness then i think that's a separate issue but if it's uh, personality, then you, you have to allow personality to uh, be expressed. So all in all, Facebook, um, I'm glad that they are cooperating with uh, all governments. I'm glad that they see how much weight and how much gravity they uh, consume uh, and that they are going to make sure that um, none of its, uh, its use will not be manipulated for any agenda, party, or person. Jeff Bezos has announced uh, some interesting plans. Article by Paul Rincon, the science editor for BBC News website. Uh, Bezos has floated the national team to build the moon lander. Jeff Bezos has announced the formation of a national team that will aim to build the moon lander that will track, or not track, but take astronauts back to the moon in 2024. His space company, Blue Origin, has teamed up with aerospace giants Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman and Draper to build or to bid for the landing system. The White House has set the ambitious goal of sending a man and a woman to the lunar south pole within five years. Bezos has outlined the plan at a meeting in Washington, D.C. The Amazon founder called the partnership the National Team for National Priority. NASA had originally planned to mount the moon return mission in 2028, but earlier, this year, Vice President Mike Pence announced the administration's plan to accelerate that timeline by four years. We recognize that this project and the time frame that the nation is calling for is ambitious, very ambitious. Brent Sherwood, a Blue Origins Vice President of Advanced Development Programs, was reported as saying, uh, according to the Washington Post, under existing plans, the lander would undock from a small space station in lunar orbit called Gateway. NASA has previously said it wants a lander. That split into three separate parts or stages, although it has left the door open to the other designs and modes of getting to the lunar surface. One stage is called the transfer vehicle or tug, and it carries the two other elements down from Gateway to a lunar, uh, lower lunar orbit. North Rob Grumman would build the stage under the national team bid. The development of the original Apollo lunar lander was led by Grumman Aircraft, which merged with Norcrop. Uh, Northrop Corporation in 1994 to form Northrop Grumman. Uh, the other stage, called the Descent Element, would take the crew from the low lunar orbit to the surface. Blue Origin plans to build this part of the lander, which will incorporate the company's BE-7 engine that is currently being developed. Finally, an Ascent Element blasts the astronaut back into lunar orbit. Lockheed Martin would develop this vehicle. Cambridge, Massachusetts-based Draper will provide decent guidance and flight Avianox uh, electronic systems. Uh, as the MIT Instrumentation Laboratory, the non-for-profit research organization, designed the Apollo guidance computer that has helped astronauts maneuver safely to the lunar surface in the 60s and 70s. Humankind's future will be determined by our ability to live and thrive beyond the Earth's surface. Leveraging the commercial sector with the new Privately funded space technologies and capabilities are critical elements of that future, said Dr. Ken Gabriel, president and chief executive of Draper. Totally agree. Um, there has to be more exploration into space. 
I don't think exploring space is uh, denying or taking a blind eye to Earth's uh, issues and opportunities. I think it's the understanding that there has to be a search for more resources, uh, a more sustainable planet. That uh, there, you know, could be other ways to uh, to 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 not just live, but to sustain the human experience. Uh, and you know, I, I applaud these efforts. I mean, going back to the moon, I think there's something that should not have been neglected. Uh, Jeff Bezos taking the initiative to spearhead this is monumentous. Um, I give him credence and credit uh, for this drive and this push. Uh, looking forward to seeing uh, its current and future developments. The uh, apparently there are some developments uh, with major pharmaceutical companies, major. And massive drug companies are pursuing a $50 billion deal to avoid the opioid trial. Under the potential settlement, pharmaceutical giants would pay $50 billion to states, local governments, and tribes for their role in the opioid epidemic. The nation's three largest opioid distributors and two opioid manufacturers are in talks to settle more than 2,000 lawsuits against them over their role in the opioid epidemic for $50 billion, according to two sources familiar with the talks. The possible settlement uh, would include a $22 billion in cash, $29 billion in drugs and distribution, according to uh, the two people familiar with the talks. Those involved caution that the talks are ongoing and the parameters of any deal are fluid. McKinsey Cardinal Health and Amerisource Burgeon Corporation Mm-hmm. would give $18 billion to be used for treatment and provision over 18 years. Johnson & Johnson would provide $4 billion. Teva Pharmaceutical would provide $29 billion worth of drugs as well as money to pay for the cost of distributing those drugs over 10 years. Teva makes uh, buprenorphine, uh, which is a drug used to treat opioid addiction. Earlier talks in August has yielded a possible deal. For $10 billion split between three companies, but now the potential settlement figure has increased to around $50 billion. Talks are expected to continue this week to reach a deal before Monday's trials begin. The opioid manufacturer Purdue Pharma was also a target of the lawsuits, but filed for bankruptcy in mid-September, brought by the state, cities, tribes, and counties. The lawsuits, almost all of which have been combined into one big case, alleged 10 companies were responsible for starting and sustaining the opioid crisis. The companies, along with the drug manufacturers, have been blamed by the plaintiff governments for sustaining the opioid epidemic. In particular, the lawsuits claim that the distributors did not stop suspicious orders of large amounts of opioids, even when there were large fluctuations in order size. Instead, the plaintiffs alleged the companies looked the other way. And I believe that to be true. I, I think that profit became more concern, and there was a push um, uh, a strategic organizational push to get these uh, drugs into consumers' hands, and it created a negative effect. And now reparations, and this is basically what it is, is the case for reparations, and in a different matter, has to come about because they have acknowledged wrongdoing and acknowledged harm that was caused deliberately and intentionally by them, maybe not in the fact that they wanted to harm somebody, but that they push something that had 
dangerous effect, a, a very dangerous effect, and but preferred the profit over the person. Um, if anything, I think this goes to say that if organizations can recognize that some wrongdoing at some sort of level has happened and there needs to be a uh, recompense, right? Some type of reconciliation, some type of repairing of the breach, some type of award to not buy away people's problems, but to create avenues in which healing can occur. Surely, 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 I think other institutions can recognize their own damage and that there needs to be avenues in which healing can occur as well. Um, this is sad. This opioid epidemic has killed more than 400,000 Americans and cost the United States more than $504 billion, according to a 2017 report by the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, and I, I pray uh, for the families that this is affected. Um, I think all industries, all companies need to take a deeper look within themselves. I understand that profit is important, that no company, no organization can exist without revenue, without profit. But profits cannot come before people. And when you are definitely a pharmaceutical company, your job is to provide healing and sustainability and a higher quality of life. And that has to come before uh, Q1 profits, right? Uh, and if that can't be your agenda, you shouldn't be in business. Major big ups to Ruth Ginsburg. Uh, Ruth Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, has added a prestigious $1 million Thinkers Award to Supreme Court Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's fame and fortune. The 2019 Pergruen Prize for Philosophy and Culture is given annually to thinkers whose ideas have profoundly shaped human self-understanding and advancement in a rapidly changing world. Ginsburg, who was 86, has served 26 years on the Supreme Court and has survived four bouts with cancers, was chosen uh, from more than 500 nominees, later winnowed down to five. She is the fourth recipient of the prize and the third woman. The organization said that Ginsburg will direct the prize money to charitable or nonprofit organizations of her choice. Ginsburg has stated uh, that she's delighted the jury has chosen to honor such a prolific leader in the field of jurisprudence, said the philanthropist Nicholas uh, Bergruen, founder and chairman of the Bergruen Institute, which seeks to shape political, economic, and social institutions. Throughout her career, Ginsburg has used the law to advance ethical and philosophical principles of equality and human rights as a basic tenet to the United States of America. Her contributions have shaped our way of life and way of thinking and have demonstrated to the world the importance of the rule of law in disabling discrimination. Shout out. It's an amazing award. Greatly deserved. Um, happy for Ruth Ginsburg. Uh, definitely is an advocate for equality. It's an amazing person. This has been another, another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cody Kelly. It has been a pleasure to cover some of these topics with you. Not some, but all of the topics with you. Let me know which topics you want me to cover in the next episodes. Uh, you can connect with me on Instagram at CVMK33, Twitter at Cody's Life One. Now on Patreon at It Is What It Is 30. There's going to be some amazing content, amazing things happening in the development, some new content, new media is coming out. I look forward to engaging with you. If you like what you're hearing, please click like, subscribe. There's three levels of membership, both on Patreon and through the Anchor app. Uh, let me know. Your support is greatly appreciated. Till next time. Thanks. <laughs>